Amen. Thanks so much for your worship. Go ahead and be seated. If you have a Bible, we're in Genesis chapter 4 today for our Bible study time. Genesis chapter 4. Grab your notes out of your bulletin so you can follow along during the message or maybe fire up your Journey Church International app. Everything on our screens can be in your handheld device if you're streaming with us today. Thanks for hanging out with us from wherever you are on another cold Sunday morning. Genesis chapter 4 is where we're going to read in just a minute. A few years ago, I was at a church planners conference and I heard a pastor by the name of Larry Osborne. I did not know who he was then, but he has kind of become a hero of mine. He's one of my favorite authors and pastors. Uh, he answered a question in a way that I have never forgotten. He was on a board of kind of pastors sitting on a stage. There were a thousand church planners in the room, and they were doing an open mic Q&A. And one of the church planners got up and asked Pastor Larry, who pastors in San Diego, this question. He said, Pastor Larry, how do you make sure, as a young church planner, that your kids are going to grow up to love God and represent the church well? It's a good question. How do you make sure as a young church planner that your kids are going to grow up to love God and represent the church well? And Larry just started laughing. He, li he literally laughed, not to shame the guy, but he started kind of chuckling to himself at the question. And he answered the question this way. He said, first, please don't expect my family to be perfect. And he said, let me tell you why I don't want you to expect my family to be perfect. He said, there once was a family... Um, named Adam and Eve, who lived in the most perfect place that could possibly uh, have ever been created on planet Earth. He said there were only, at the time, two parents alive in the world, and they were people who hung out with God all the time. They had two kids. Their kids were not negatively impacted by MTV, by public schools. Um, they weren't influenced in any way by video games or the internet. There were no TV shows or radio stations to corrupt them. There were no drugs or alcohol in the world. All there was was a family, God and Satan, and that caused a lot of problems. And he said, as long as we live in a world where there are families and God and Satan, there are going to be a lot of problems. And he said, I hope my kids grow up to love God and represent the church well. But he said, if one of Adam and Eve's got away, I would be crazy to think that mine would be perfect. We are starting a series today called Stronger Families, because the reality is, as long as there are families and God, and Satan, we are all going to have problems in our family. There are no perfect families, but we can have stronger families. And that is our goal in this series, and that is our goal the next five weeks, to help all of us learn how to have stronger families. And here's the two ways we're going to try to learn how to do that. Here's going to be our specific emphasis the next five weeks. We're going to try to teach ourselves together, me and you together, how to battle the brokenness in our lives how to battle the brokenness in our families, how to admit that and get help with that. And we're going to try to get to the point where we refuse to quit. We're going to be willing to battle the brokenness in us. And we're going to try to refuse to quit when we see brokenness in other people. That's the goal of this series. And we're going to start today with this first family of the Bible, Adam and Eve and their two sons, Cain in Abel in Genesis chapter 4. Before we read the word of God, here's my hope today that God will speak to you about your family, not just this family. So would you bow your heads and would you just pray quickly? Would you just from your heart to heaven, not out loud, but would you pray that God would speak to you today about your family? Would you pray that God might speak to you today about maybe the brokenness in your family and that God would help you to have the courage and the commitment to refuse to quit when life gets hard. God, we know every time the people of God read the word of God, the spirit of God has the opportunity to plant seeds in our hearts. So today we're asking that you plant some seeds about our families, about some of the difficult things that might be going on in our families right now, and the courage and commitment 
to just keep fighting for our families. God, that's our prayer. Show us today from the story of Adam and Eve's sons how we can be better and how we can be stronger. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Genesis chapter four, we're gonna start in verse one and read through verse 10. Here's what it says. Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. I believe one of the most powerful and impactful stories in the entire Bible about our families is the story of Cain and Abel, the two sons of Adam, one who would be the first murder victim on planet earth and the other who would be the first murderer, two brothers. If we just look at the outcome of the story, it's a, it's a tragic story that we would pray would never happen in our family. But if we look at the process and the details of this story, we learn some things that are actually happening in our families. And if we look at the details and the process of the story, we see some strategies that can impact all of us spiritually and help all of our families get stronger because embedded in this story are two key truths of every family represented here today. And none of us can really begin to battle brokenness until we acknowledge these two truths that we learn in the story of Adam and Eve's two sons, Cain and Abel. So what are these two truths? Number one, we have to understand if we want to battle brokenness and have a stronger family, we have to understand sin leads to brokenness in our lives. We would look at this story and we would say, who is kind of the culprit who made things go wrong here? And a lot of us would say Cain, but it wasn't Cain. It was sin in Cain. Genesis 4 offers us a very small glimpse of Cain and Abel's life. Genesis 3 ends with only two people on planet Earth, Adam and Eve. Genesis 5 ends with 11 generations of families over the course of more than 1,500 years. And squeezed in between those is just one glimpse at one family, these two boys, Cain and Abel. And we don't learn very much about them. We learn what they did. Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a farmer. And we learned how they used that for God. Cain, Abel gave his very best for God. Cain gave some of what he had to God. Now, let's think about our lives for a second. If that was our story, if we got one chapter of the Bible and the only thing written about us was our occupation and how we use that for God, what would your story say? If the only thing written in our story was you were a school teacher, you were a coach, you were a firefighter, you were a doctor, you were a nurse, you were a teacher, you were a construction worker, you were a businessman or a businesswoman or a stay-at-home mom, this is what you did. And this is how you leverage that for God. What would your story say? That this is what you did and you, and you gave everything to God or this is what you did and you tried to make time for God every now and then. That's the story of Cain and Abel. We only learn what they did and how they used that in their relationship with God. Abel gave his very best. Cain gave less than the best. We find this glimpse into Cain's life revealed a spiritual problem. And here was the spiritual problem. The way Cain approached God was broken. 
We're not exactly sure why. I don't know if he didn't give enough crops, the best crops. I don't know if he gave crops that were rotten. We, we don't really know what was wrong. We just know the way Cain approached God was broken. And then we learned the reason he was broken was sin. The way Cain approached God was broken. God said, Abel is doing it better than you are because of sin. And in Genesis 4, 6, and 7, we see this interesting conversation between Cain and God. At, at some point, the way Abel approached God was seen as favorable in both of their eyes. So God confronted Cain and said, listen, I, I want you to approach me differently. And here's what we read. It says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Now we need to stop right there. Because it's interesting that when it was pointed out to Cain that he was giving less than his best spiritually, his first response was anger. And maybe that's what you felt today. Maybe when you heard me say, this is your job, and your story would say, you know, you maybe had time for God when you, when you wanted to. Maybe your first response was anger. You thought, you don't know how busy I am, and you don't know what kind of church experiences I've had. How dare you? That was Cain's response to God. How dare you? How dare you judge me for my efforts spiritually? The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. You might circle, if you have your Bibles open, this word sin here, because God kind of portrays sin as an animal or a criminal who wants to hurt Cain. We have to acknowledge as we read this story, two things about the sin in my life. Let me say my before you, and the sin in your life, the sin in our life. So we have to acknowledge two things about sin. First, According to Genesis 4, sin desires to crush us. That's the word in the Hebrew language. When God said sin desires to have you, the word literally is destroy. Sin desires to destroy your life. God warned Cain that sin wanted to destroy his life. In Job chapter 1 and 2, we actually see Satan talking to God, and he is asking permission to destroy Job's life. In Zechariah chapter 3, we see another time where we see Satan at the throne room of God, and he's asking God to destroy a high priest named Joshua. In the book of Revelation, we see sin as a dragon who's trying to crush a baby who has just been born that will be a savior. Sin, every time we see sin or Satan in scripture, its goal is to destroy the person it's focusing on. In his ministry, Jesus told this spiritual truth in John 10, 10. Here's what he said about sin and the father of sin, Satan. He said, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Satan and sin wants to crush you. He wants to destroy you. The only person that Jesus spoke to personally about Satan was the apostle Peter, whose name was Simon Peter. And in Luke twenty two thirty one, here's what Jesus said to Peter about Satan's desire for Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. You say, how do you sift wheat? You take a wheat stalk and you snap it in two. And then you pour it out and the chaff blows away and the wheat settles down and you can go and, and have useful things with it. Literally, Jesus was saying to Simon, listen, Satan wants to break you in two. He wants to crush you. He wants to destroy your life. As we read the story of Cain and Abel, we have to acknowledge two things about the sin in our life. One, sin desires to crush us. But two, we have to fight it. God tells Cain, sin desires to crush you. You're gonna have to do something about that. 
Sin desires to rule over you, desires to have you, but, but you're going to have to fight it. The only person Jesus spoke to specifically about what Satan was asking of him was the apostle Peter. So when the apostle Peter wrote to the church later, he kind of repeated these words of Jesus to the people he was leading spiritually. In 1 Peter 5, 8, he said, Jesus told me Satan was after me. I want you to know he's after you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan, uh, Peter said, Satan is like a roaring lion. He is always kind of watching your life, looking for the right time to pounce. Did y'all read about the mountain lion that attacked the runner a couple weeks ago in Colorado? Guy's running on a trail, six mile run all by himself. He gets to the top of a trail and he hears kind of some brush breaking behind him. He turns around and there's a 40, 50 pound, which I guess is a small mountain lion and is following him. He did everything right. He turned and faced it. He slowly walked backwards while looking at it. Um, when it kept walking towards him, he got big and tried to scare it. Nothing happened, and it pounced, and it tried to pounce at his throat. He put his hands up, and the story that Travis tells us is that the mountain lion bit into, as it was aiming for his throat, it bit into his hand, and he realized if he wasn't able to keep his wrist in his mouth, it was going to try to bite him again. So instead of pulling his arm out of the mountain lion's mouth, he shoved it in as deeply as he could. He said, I could feel the the teeth rubbing against my bone and biting into the nerves in my hands. But as he pushed his arm deeper into the mountain lion's mouth, and then he realized with his leg to kind of trap its back legs because his back legs were scratching him to death, he put his other knee on the lion's throat and literally left it there until he killed that mountain lion with his bare hands. He choked it out and left it there for dead and then ran down the trail to the hospital. Like, that is awesome. Like... I would not want to experience that, but if I ever did, I would want it to turn out that way, right? Like that is, that is awesome. He said later at the hospital when they said, why didn't you do anything else? He said, I realized when I was laying on the ground that either I was going to die or the lion was going to die, but one of us had to go. I realized he was going to kill me or I was going to kill him, but there was no other options. Have you realized that about the sin in your life yet? that it's either going to kill you or you're going to overcome it. Because I don't know anyone who has a pet mountain lion who has a brain in their head, right? Like, I have some friends that have some snakes. I don't have any friends that have a pet rattlesnake. And a lot of us treat sin like our pet. And we think we can run it back to its cage when it's annoying us, and we can't. Because it is a roaring lion looking for someone not to bother, but to destroy. Looking for someone to devour. So like Travis, our running from from Colorado. Either it dies or we die, but there really, it can't be a coexistence once the battle begins. And the battle for your life with sin has begun. Travis Kaufman is lucky to be alive. And so are you if you're a Christian, because every day of your Christian life, you have a lion following you, waiting for you to get on the wrong trail by yourself, and then he is going to pounce. And he's gonna try to steal your joy, And he's going to try to kill your peace. And he's going to try to destroy your family. Which is why it's so important as a part of this series that we learn to battle brokenness. Because here is truth number two in the story of Cain and Abel. Brokenness leads to pain for our families. Sin leads to brokenness. But if we refuse to battle that brokenness, brokenness inflicts pain on our families. In Genesis 4, 7, God told Cain, fight against your sin. And in Genesis 4, 8, who did Cain fight against? Anybody? 
his brother, not his sin. And when we refuse to battle brokenness, what we end up doing with our brokenness is causing pain to our families. In Genesis 4, 8, Cain said to his brother, God said, you better do something about that sin. So instead of battling sin, what did Cain do? He turned on his family. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed them. If we want to have stronger families, we have to battle the brokenness that lives in our hearts. And here's why. Because those most impacted by our brokenness are usually our families. The people that are most impacted by your anger, by your temper, by your sarcasm, by your insult, the people that are most impacted by your addictions, by your habits, by your trust issues, the people that are most impacted by our brokenness are usually our families. Two weeks ago, I entered a season of the year that I usually refer to as the Super Bowl blues in my life because I love to watch football. When Labor Day comes, I watch football every weekend until the Super Bowl, and then there's nothing for me to watch on TV because that's my stress relief. I just love to turn on a football game and just kind of veg out. And every year when the Super Bowl is over, I know I have to wait two months until the royal season begins, and it's like for two months, I have nothing to do on Saturday, Sunday. So Danielle gives me a lot of like painting to do and yard work to do because she knows like I'm in this funk because there's nothing to watch on TV. That's different this year because a new football league has started. It's called the AAF, the Alliance of American Football. It's like minor league football, and it's on now on Saturday. So I actually have football to watch. As I was watching a football game the other week of these kind of random team names from random places, I saw that one of the teams in the AAF was the Arizona Hotshots. And when I saw their name and I saw their logo, I thought, I, I know what that means. Because, you know, growing up, I thought a hot shot in, you know, like the early 90s was like somebody with a cool mustache who drove a Camaro, like where I, like where I was from, but like that guy would be a hot shot. That's not what a hot shot is. A hot shot is a squad of elite firefighters that fight forest fires. That's what a hot shot is. I know that because a couple years ago, Danielle and I saw the movie Only the Brave, which is a movie about a group of elite firefighters from Prescott Valley, Arizona, who died fighting a forest fire in 60 mile per hour winds. It is a fascinating but tragic movie. But as I watched that movie, I realized how these hot shots work. I realized how they put out forest fires because really you can't put out a forest fire. You just have to get ahead of it and hope it burns itself out. And what these hot shots do is they go in and they build these fire lines, basically these massive trenches where they know that everything inside the fire line is just going to burn down, but everything outside the fire line will be protected. That's the goal of the hot shots. Build a fire line where we just keep the fire contained. These guys were killed battling that blaze. What I have learned about brokenness is that often the fire line is set around our family. And we have this posture and demeanor and reputation outside our family that's one thing, but inside our home, man, the fire is raging. Like we don't let all the people at work and all the people in our neighborhood and all the people that we interact with on a daily basis see the real us. But who we are at home, man, is just burning everyone alive. Our anger, our temper, our habits, our words, our conflict, our stress. It's like we have a fire line built and everything inside the home sometimes just feels like it's on crazy fire. And then we walk out and we have a totally different reputation on the outside of the world. The fire line gets built, but it doesn't protect our family. And what I've learned in 20 years of ministry and counseling with families, marriages, kids, people who are divorced, single parents, is one of the greatest shocks in life is not that our family causes us pain. I think everyone gets that. Our greatest shock in life is how deeply 
our families cause us pain. Our greatest shock is not that mom and dad hurt our feelings. Our greatest shock in life is not that our husband or wife disappointed us. Our greatest shock in life is not that our kids rebelled and that hurt us. I think we, we understand we're going to be hurt by family. Our greatest shock in life is how deeply we are hurt by family. Several years ago, I was struggling with anxiety in my life. So I memorized a lot of Bible verses on anxiety that I would quote to myself when I was struggling emotionally a little bit. One of my favorites was Psalm 55, 22 where David says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. So every time I would feel anxiety coming on, I would try to give that anxiety to God so that, so that I could be strong. I didn't realize for a few years what cares David was talking about until I studied the rest of Psalm 55 and I realized the cares that he was trying to give to God, the cares that were causing him so much anxiety, the cares that were causing him so much turmoil, the cares that were shaking him so much were the deep hurts from people super close to him. In Psalm 55 verses one through three, he introduces us to what he's going through. In his prayer to God, he says, listen to my prayer, O God, do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me. And I'm distraught because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and they assail me in their anger. He said, I'm so stressed, I'm suffering. These people are killing me. And then he says this in verse 12. He said, actually, if it were an enemy who were insulting me, I could endure it. No big deal. They don't like me, I don't like them. If it were a foe rising against me, I could hide. I could just go home and shut the door. I wouldn't have to worry about it. However, it's you. It's a man like myself. It's my companion. It's my close friend with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. David said, the deepest pain in my life is coming from those who are closest to me. I wish it was an enemy. I could write them off. I wish it was a foe. I could go home, but they're home. They, they live among me. They're just like me, my family, and my friends are causing me more pain and suffering and anguish than anyone else in my life. David was saying, somebody super close to me has hurt me super deeply. You know, it's interesting, as I meet with families in our church and I've begun to talk to parents who are in their 50s and 60s, I'm realizing that their adult children are some of the greatest sources of their pain and their anguish and their suffering right now. When I talk to people in their 20s and 30s, I'm realizing that their parents' expectations on them and some of the conflict as they try to start their own life is causing the deepest pain and suffering in their life. As I talk to people in their 60s and 70s, I find out that their aging parents' health and their aging parents' passing is the greatest source of their pain. People closest to them are causing the most anguish. As a matter of fact, I think I could probably say this honestly. If you're married, the person in life who will cause you the most pain over a lifetime is your spouse. If you're married, the person who will disappoint you more than anyone else is your spouse. If you're married, you will have more arguments with the person you're married to than anyone else in life. Why? Because you're married to someone who's broken and you're just around them more than anyone else and you were on the wrong side of the fire line. You say, I'm married to someone broken? Yes, and so is the person you're married to. They're married to someone who's broken and they're around you more than anyone else and they see you on the wrong side of the fire line, which is why we're doing two unique things as a part of this series. One, we're not gonna preach any messages on marriage. 
because we don't think one 30-minute message is really going to help a lot of people. It's why we're having a marriage retreat as a part of this series for married couples on March 8th and 9th. 18 hours is all we're asking from you in 2019 to put into your marriage. We start Friday night at 7. We're out Saturday at noon. 18 hours and a couple hundred dollars is what we're asking you to invest in your marriage. And can I beg you to clear your schedule and be at this marriage retreat? Because you're married to someone who's broken and because you're broke, can I beg you to make this a priority? I talked to a young family this week and I said, hey, have you guys signed up for the marriage retreat yet? And they said, we can't. You know, our, our kids have a basketball game. They're nine. And I said, well, how many basketball games do they have this year? And they're like, well, 20 or 30. And I said, you can't miss one? Like, you, you can't miss one for the marriage retreat? Well, we really like to see them play. I said, then do me a favor. The next time you have a marriage struggle, call their coach. Not us. Because we are putting on a marriage retreat to help you. And if you don't care about your marriage, how can you expect us to, when it goes bad, please invest some of your energy, time, and money? So I don't have money. We'll pay for it. Just sign up. Inside your bulletin is a, is a little form where you can find it, sign up today. You can sign up online. Please. If you're engaged, we can't let you have a hotel room down there because we don't believe that's proper. But you should come to the sessions and listen. It'll be the best premarital counseling that you can get, I promise you. If you're dating and thinking about getting engaged, come hang out with us on Friday and Saturday night and learn some of the secrets of living through brokenness so that you can have a great marriage. The bottom line of today's message as we look at Cain and Abel is this. If you want a stronger family, it begins with realizing two things. One, sin leads to brokenness in our lives, so we gotta deal with sin. Secondly, brokenness leads to pain for our families. If you don't remember anything else today, remember this. Satan has his gun pointed at you and your brokenness has its gun pointed at your family. That's the way it works. Satan has his gun pointed at you and your brokenness has its gun pointed at your family. So if you want to have a stronger family, you have to battle your own brokenness and you have to refuse to quit as you love someone else who's broken. The key question as we wrap up this message is, okay, we know these things, what are we going to do about them? Okay, I'm broken by sin, I get it. My brokenness impacts my family, I get it. So what are we gonna do about it? Two things that we're gonna try to do today. One, I wanna challenge you to take responsibility for you. It's interesting how when you stand up here and preach a message like this, how everyone is thinking of the broken family member that's not them. And they're thinking if we could fix that family member, our family would be so much stronger. You might be right, but you can only take responsibility for you. You have to start with you. Letter A, you have to see your sin as the greatest obstacle to a strong family. This week on the podcast, Pastor Brandon asked me on our Activate podcast, are you saying that, that you know, the person who's listening to this podcast, their sin is the biggest problem in their family? I said, no, I'm not saying that. But I am saying this. If someone will focus on their own sin, they'll be willing to have more grace with someone else who's struggling with sin. Like, we have to start with us. We have to start with us. And then letter B we have to see Jesus as the greatest opportunity for a strong family. Sin is our greatest obstacle. Jesus is our greatest opportunity. You say, how do I move forward to Jesus? Let me give you four letters. Write these down. A, B, C, A in that letter. A stands for admit. To begin battling brokenness, you have to admit you're broken. You say, God, in this area, I think I'm less than what you want me to be. And I think this has negatively impacted my family. Admit. There's some brokenness. B stands for belief. Believe that Jesus can help you with it. You are broken, but you're not broken beyond repair. You are broken and you are stalked, but you can be protected. 
by Jesus. So believe that Jesus can help you. C stands for confess. Confess to God and one other person that you need help and you'd like to change. Make sure it's someone you really, really trust. Confess to God and one other person. I am broken in this area and I need to change. And then the last day stands for accountability. Let them hold you accountable. Confess to God and one other person. My temper is out of hand and I'd like you to hold me accountable. And when they see it fly off the handle, they tell you, listen, you asked me to help you get better in this area. You can't do that. You should see the way your kids kind of recoil when you begin to yell. You can't do that. You ask for accountability. Someone's told you that you struggle with gossip. You've not even realized it, but most of what you do is just talk about other people. So you realize that I'm broken because I just talk way too much about other people. So you ask someone to help you, and then they pull you aside after gathering and say, listen, I listened to you tonight, and you talked about these seven people. I don't even think you realized you were doing it, but you, you said you wanted me to help you get better there. I want to help you get better because if that's who you continue to be, your kids have no chance but to just constantly talk about other people their whole life. Maybe you ask a friend to hold you accountable with your eyes and you go out to eat with some of your work buddies and he tells you when you get back to work, you know, you were beyond kind to that waitress. You were flirting with her. You went too far. It's not healthy. It's not good. If you'd have been alone, I don't know what would have happened. You ask for accountability and you say, help me. Help me battle my brokenness so that I can be better for my family. And then number two, you refuse to quit. You battle your brokenness and then you refuse to quit. My favorite part of the story about Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel is the end. Because it's not what you would predict would have happened. Adam and Eve were the only family alive on planet earth. Cain and Abel were their first two boys. And now Abel is dead and Cain is gone. One son is dead. One son has been banished to basically spiritual prison. And here they are ready to start over. There's not another couple on planet earth they can talk to about what it's like to lose a son. They're not there yet. There's not another family that they can talk to about what it's like to have a, a son in prison. They don't have that. You would think they say, we have tried the family thing and God, it has worked out so poorly that we quit. We had two boys. Now they're both gone. God, what do we do? But they didn't quit. They kept pushing. We get to the end of the story of Cain and Abel, and here's what we read in Genesis 4, 25. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to another son, and she named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. They didn't quit. They didn't quit on family. They could have. Maybe they should have. But they didn't quit even when it was extremely painful. And what we learned from Seth might be the most important thing of the entire message because we read Seth also had a son. He invested in family. And he named him Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. I find it interesting that not until Seth had a family did people begin to call on the name of the Lord. And maybe this is what happened. Maybe when Seth was born, his mom and dad told him at the right time, listen, you have two older brothers, but they're not here anymore. Uh, your oldest is Cain. But he's, he's in prison. He's away. God has banished him because he killed your brother named Abel. Because family's really, really hard, but family's really, really worth it. And when you start your own family, you're going to need God to help you. And maybe when Seth had his first son, he thought about his two older brothers who he had never had the chance to meet. And he thought, God, you're going to have to help me. Because I am starting a family that is broken by sin. I am now in a family that is broken by sin. I'm leading a family that's broken by sin. So God... You're going to have to help us here. We realize sin is after us. We want to battle that. We want to fight that. 
we realize that when sin gets us, we usually really hurt our families. We want to fight that, so God, help us. Maybe that needs to be your realization today. The realization is Seth. Family is hard. Being in a family is hard. Having a family is hard. Leading a family is hard. And there's a devil prowling around like a roaring lion trying to kill your family. So we better learn how to ask God for help. Maybe our story is we refused to quit in our families when times got hard, but it was because we learned to call on the name of the Lord and say, God, help us when times are really, really hard. Satan is pointing his target of sin at your heart, but sin is pointing its consequences of brokenness at your family. And if you will battle your sin, your family will get stronger. For the next five weeks, we're going to talk about how that can work, but it starts today with admitting you're broken, believing that God can help you, asking for help, and then letting someone hold you accountable. If you would consider doing that, I promise you and your family will be stronger. Would you pray with me as we consider those things? Father, we come to you in Jesus' name so thankful for what we learned today from the story of Cain and Abel, not about their family, but about ours, not about their hearts, but about ours. So God, speak to us now. We ask before this message that you would speak to our hearts about our families So God, we pray you do that. If you're in here today and you are battling some type of sin that has caused you brokenness and it's caused your family pain. I'm talking to the Christians in the room. Remember, no perfect families, but you can be stronger. You have to admit to God that you're broken, that you're struggling. You have to confess your need for Jesus and believe he can help you. It's worth finding someone to hold you accountable in areas where you're broken. If God has revealed to you an area today of brokenness that is negatively impacting your family, would you maybe consider praying a prayer like this to God from your heart to heaven? You don't have to pray it out loud. Would you pray something like this? God, just in your own heart, I admit that I am broken and I confess my need for Jesus to help me. Help me believe that Jesus can heal me and help me and show me who to go to for accountability and healing. Take the prayer another step and pray this. I realize my brokenness has brought pain to my family and I'm sorry. Forgive me, God, and help them to forgive me as I try to put out the fires at home. Those are hurting those around me. Or maybe you're here and you have been so deeply wounded by a family member's brokenness that your first step is to ask for healing from the pain caused by you. You're not Cain, you're Abel. And someone has been taking out their brokenness on you long enough that you hardly feel alive anymore. If that's you, would you consider praying this prayer from your heart to God's? Would you pray this, God? The sin of someone in my family has hurt me deeply. Please heal me and help me not to quit. Believing that if I call on you, You can help me.
God, I pray for our church, those who are here today, those who are watching online, those who are visiting from out of town, those who are visiting from out of the country. God, help us because we all desire to have stronger families, to battle our brokenness, and to learn how to call on you so like Adam and Eve, we can refuse to quit. And so like Seth, we can lead our families with an understanding of brokenness, but an understanding of help that God offers. That's our prayer in this next five weeks. Make our families stronger. We love you. And God, we ask these things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said, amen.